We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the, other, the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to the Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day. This day we are able to gather, able to look at your word, able to sit before it. We ask that you would make us our appetite grow and our longing to understand it. Uh, to, to be uh, central. I pray, Father, for those who are here and maybe uh, read their Bibles or sat in sermons many times, many years. Pray that they would have a fresh desire to, to long after what you have to say. I pray for those who maybe have been in church but never heard, never really understood, never had the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that they would believe today and trust Christ. I pray you would do that work in us all. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you have um, at different times uh, maybe been connected with Phil Robertson. Uh, you've heard of Duck Dynasty or Duck Commander or whatever. Uh, I some time ago was looking at uh, something and they were, I think Jace was discussing with uh, his dad uh, investments and one of the things was uh, Phil was saying is like you need to own land because if you own land, you can go out there and touch it. You can put take your shoes off and feel you know the soil, and you can see the trees. They're real investments. It's something that you can buy. You can go and get the deed and look at it, and it has your name on it. It is actually something that is there. And so he starts messing with Jason. He's like. You put this money in the stock market, and one day it's worth this, and the next it's worth that. And really, uh, where did the money go? I mean, who got the money yesterday that you had in there? You know, and it, 
he was messing with him and saying like, you need to have something on earth that you can touch and feel and it makes sense. You can see it. Well, in this study of Hebrews, the struggle is, is that these people under the old covenant who had uh, heard all the stories about Moses and about Mount Sinai and how the people passed through the waters and went and met with their God. Uh, there was a place, there was a space, there was space and time. The people saw the mountain. They saw the smoke. They heard the voice. And so all of that was very visual. It was tangible. It was something they could say, this actually happened. There were eyewitnesses, in a way you could say, to that. And they still had things that were tied to meeting with God, like the tabernacle, then later the temple. And so they were, those things were very visual. A visual priest walking around. They could see Him and touch Him. And then they come and hear the message of Jesus Christ who had come to save and rescue them from their sins. And Jesus ascended into heaven. And the holy place is in heaven. And now they can't see and feel and touch. And then when trouble comes, which it did in the early church, when it came upon them and they faced all kinds of troubles and trials, they, they were left with, do I really believe something I can't see? And their families would come in, not at Christmas, but during the festivals, let's say, and say, why don't you come? Be a part of this. You're believing in this person that was crucified on a cross. Like, what, what, what are you doing? And they began, like, doubt began to set in. And, and you may have had that in your own life. Moments where you say, I know I believe that, but the evidence around me states that it's not true. Like, do I really believe this? When the trouble starts to come, it either refines you and you dig deeper in, or you go on the run. And the author is writing to them and saying, you stay the course. And so today, he's going to talk about the Old Covenant people coming to Mount Sinai and what that was like. And then he's going to say, but you haven't come to Mount Sinai. You have come to the mountain of God. And that's what you will see. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of God. And he's going to kind of show how they are different from one another and help you understand that again, that you have something far superior to them. Some of you here would like Christianity to be a Mount Sinai experience. I can see it, feel it, touch it. Sure. Is it frightening all the time? Do I feel like I could be consumed at every moment? Yes, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that. The problem is, is the Bible doesn't kind of like that. The New Testament doesn't kind of like that. And so what we have to do is say, Lord, reshape our understanding of You and what it means to be in Christ and let me walk in light of that. So, in this text, and you're just going to see it, as they struggle, they're going to face many different things, 
But what the author has done, because you want to get your head in this just for a moment, the author has said, we have left the earthly inferior shadows. We have come to the heavenly. Uh, we have come to the real thing. We, can come to, we have come to the thing that all of that pointed to. And so, what he also says is, the Old Testament saints that he made a list of in chapter 11, they were not looking to the earthly. They were looking to the heavenly. All the people of God have always looked to the future. They have always set their gaze to heaven. They saw the earthly, but they knew the earthly only helped them understand the heavenly. And so that is kind of what's been going on. He, last week he said, hey, if some people say stuff like this, we've really experienced the blessing of God. They never say that the blessing of God is this, God has wrecked my life but caused me to be faithful. That's not what they call the blessing of God. God has taken me through many dangers, toils, and snares. I'm really blessed. But the reality is, that is the blessing of God. Why? Because He is training His people for glory. And He always trains His people in the way that we train people. This is going to be really tough. But when we come out on the other side, it will be worth it. That's the way God trains. So, today, we are saying, we have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly city of God, and have received the eternal and unshakable kingdom. We are to live lives in worship and service to Him. Because in one sense, we are running the race. In another sense, we've already come to the finish line. And we must listen to God and follow Him. So let's go and move through this. First, when you come to this idea of reaching the finish line, you've got to get in your mind that we have not come to the same place as Old Testament Israel. Look at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no one further uh, I mean, that no further messages be spoken to them. He's saying, that's not where you have come. You have not come to Mount Sinai. That is not where you're at. You need to take yourself there for a minute, but no, I've just taken you there to explain a point to you. This is what Mount Sinai is like. I want you to understand that. I want you to see that. You know, for some of us, our memories of life, as we get further and further away from that time, we begin to look at it and think it was all glorious and it was all wonderful. And when the troubles of the present are before us, maybe sickness, maybe loss, maybe whatever, when the troubles of the present are before us, we turn our eyes back and say everything about the past was better. That's just what happens. Well, that's kind of what's going on with these people. They are looking back to the Old Covenant times. They look, they're looking back to almost being like the Old Covenant people standing before Mount Sinai, and they see that as better. But notice what happens. When they came to the mountain to meet with God, they were warned not to touch it. 
So again, we're thinking about earthly. We're thinking about the shadows. We're thinking about the Old Covenant. We're thinking about coming to meet with God. And when they came up to the mountain, He said, do not touch. If you touch, you will be consumed. Why did He say that? Because a holy God and a sinful people, they have to be separated from one another. It was a grace to them because they could not come closer. To come closer would mean their death. Next, a blazing fire that would what? Consume them. God's glory, you come before the glory of the great God and you will be consumed. He is a consuming fire to darkness. The Old Covenant people, they come up to the mountain. God has just rescued them from Egypt. They come up to the mountain and He says, don't touch it. There's this understanding of God's consuming fire and there's darkness there. And so they get there and there's something frightening about being in the presence of a holy God. They are shocked by who He is and, and there's something about it that's like fearful. It strikes fear in the heart of them. Rightly so. In your own life, when you think of God, if it never sends your your, your thoughts to He is holy. He is a consuming fire. He is someone to be respected, to be honored, to be, not be trifled with. So they saw that. To gloom. We would say that maybe like impending doom all around them. It is a gloomy sense of like, we are in a place of, I don't even know if I want to be here, but something's drawn me here. I wanted to meet with God, but there's something frightening about meeting with Him. And a tempest, it's like a wind that has come, a windstorm. I told you not too long ago at my house, that there was, a, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, a windstorm came through, there was rain and things, but like, I remember I was about to fall asleep, and all of a sudden when that wind came rushing in, I thought, man, something bad is about to happen. I mean, this... I thought it was going to blow the windows out of our house. It almost felt that way because things were slapping against the walls and I was like, what is that? Well, the next morning we get up and there was a tree that fell down on our neighbor's house, knocked a hole in it, and we understood the power of wind. And so you know what it's like to be in that moment. I've been on the lake, I remember as a kid, we had a 14-foot, 36-inch wide boat with a 7.5-horse Evinrude traveling across Millwood Lake. The wind picked up. My dad could see the storm coming, I know, but I think he thought, well, we'll fish a little more, and we did. And I remember the water coming down, uh, the, the drops hitting me, and it felt like needles hitting me as we were coming across there you know, with that little boat. And it, it really, the way that set up, the wind was blowing so hard. I mean, it just felt like we were coming over and over and over. And it's that thing of like, you know, when you really get in a place like that, you think there's nothing I can do. And so you just, you're, you're, there's, you're almost like frozen by it. These are the people coming to meet with God, standing before the presence of God. And the sound of a trumpet, which oftentimes would just be, it's an announcing thing. It is awakening you. 
It is almost like if a storm came to your house or came in through at one night and there's tornadoes kind of everywhere and you begin to hear that alarm and it's like shocking. You cannot turn it off. It's loud and it's, it's crushing. Because it's, there's something about you saying there's so much swirling around. And you're thinking, we left Egypt to come into the presence of a God like this? So holy? So separate from us? A consuming fire? That's where we've come. And then comes a voice. And notice what you learn about the voice. The voice is so shocking that the people are begging for the voice to stop. This is the voice of God. They don't want to hear anymore. They are looking at Moses and saying, please don't ever let him speak to us again. We can't handle the weight of it. The weight of glory. The weight of His words. They are so oppressive. They are just just—they're shocking me. They're so heavy upon me. They're more than I can bear. His words are right and true. And when I hear what is right and true, I can't take it anymore. This is not a Christianity kind of concept where people say stuff like, Uh, Well, I can live up to God's standards and He's going to accept me. Those words are so heavy on them, they want to silence them forever. Because the weight of them, the weight of holiness is upon them. And they can't handle it. And guess what? If you really understood God's Word, there is, apart from Christ, the weight the weight of His words would not allow you to lift your head up and say, I'm a pretty good person. Nobody's doing that at Mount Sinai. Nobody's doing that because they are hearing those words with perfect clarity and they want to run from the weight of His words. Nobody's head's lifted up. They are in the presence of a holy God. Begging for His message to stop. Is that how you think about Mount Sinai? Verse 20 and 21. For they could not endure the the order that was given. The laws. The standards. And not only that, they couldn't even stand the fact that even a beast, it almost like, in a way, it's, it's a little bit of like taking man down to some level. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. They, they realized that a beast, in a way, if you understand the Bible, they hadn't really chosen to do anything wrong. They're just mindlessly moving around. And they'll die on that mountain? Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And he had to walk up the mountain. Have you ever really been, and this is just a, this is a legitimate thing. Anybody here, this is a legitimate question. Have you ever really seen God in this way. 
Have you seen His holiness? Have you respected Him? Have you been left in awe? Have you ever beheld the glory of God and, and, and been like Job or like Isaiah or like Jeremiah or like John the Apostle or like the people here? coming into the presence of God, and it takes your breath away, it silences you, it humbles you beyond compare, and you know that you could not stand. You have nothing to stand upon. You have no way of standing in His presence. You're left like Isaiah, our righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags. And here's what he says. Y'all ready? This is where it might change your whole concept of Christianity. You ready? But you have come to Mount Zion. He is speaking to them as coming to a second mountain. The mountain that the Hebrews 11 saints were looking forward to. They were searching for a heavenly city. He says what they searched for, you have now you have come to the finish line. You have experienced in part what will be experienced in full. Look what it says. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, or festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is he saying? You have come to a different mountain. Is this mountain frightening? Is it? Is Mount Zion frightening? Does, I mean, look at it. You look at the text. What is He saying to these New Covenant believers? Is He saying, Mount Sinai, part 2? Answer, no. What is He saying to them? Where have they come? They have come to the finish. They have come to the place that all those Old Testament saints were looking for. They have come there. And they have come there through Christ. Their Mediator. The one who sprinkled his own blood, that's where they've come. And we have met him there. We understand that. We've seen that as we've traveled through Hebrews. You say, are we at Mount Zion now? We are and we're not. Ephesians says we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If he, uh, Hebrews says you can go into the Holy of Holies the heavenly holy of holies, and find mercy in your time of need. Hebrews says all those things are true. You are a part of the kingdom. Your citizenship is there. As Philippians 3 says, we have come, but the fullness of that is yet to come. So, Mount Zion, the city of the, he of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, it's God's city. It is not a place. Look at the text. It is not a place of fear, but a place of joy. The promise to those who overcome is all the benefits that have come in the, in the present 
and yet in the future. This place, as you look at it in a more future way, I guess you could say, in Revelation 22, it speaks of all the glories of it. Verse 3 of chapter 22, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There, They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Notice what else it says that we have come to. This place where there are innumerable angels, and it's a festive picture. They have gathered for this great and glorious time to celebrate. That's the idea. You have come into the celebration. You have entered in. It reminds you of the prodigal coming home and then that older brother sitting outside with a bad face on it, you know, looking at it and being angry. And Jesus is saying, why are you not coming in and rejoicing? Why are you not a part of this party? This is an exciting time. Verse 23, And to the assembly of the firstborn, that's speaking of those who are in Christ, who both old and new, who are enrolled in heaven. What does that mean? They haven't applied. It is not that they are in application process. He says you're not coming to a mount where you are frightened. You are coming to Mount Zion. You have a membership there. You have already been enrolled. A guy the other day was trying to get me to, to get a membership for something, and he's sitting there, and he gives me an application. And then I guess somebody will meet together if I decided to do it, which I probably won't, and I, they'll say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll receive him. He, he, he'll get in there. That's not what this says. It says you are enrolled. That means your name is on the roll. That means you don't have, when you walk up, they say, of course, so and so, walk in. You are enrolled in heaven. That's where you've come. Listen, these people are struggling because they grew up under a Jewish system where Mount Sinai was a central thing of meeting with God. And it was earthly, and it was visual. And when they walked up, they could look at that and see it. And sure, it kind of was like, we're not as close to Him as we would like to be. Certainly frightened all the time. The high priest goes in once a year. We hope he doesn't die while he's there. And he says, no, you have come to Mount Zion, and you have not only come there, you're not standing outside, you have membership there. You have membership there. You have membership. You have a share in the inheritance. As Ephesians says, the riches of His glory are yours now, and the fullness of that is to come. Anna and I went to, or were planning on going to Dallas a couple of weeks ago. The last time we planned to go, the details changed a bit. This time, I said, are you excited about kind of spending the night in Dallas? She's like, I am, but not yet, kind of, right? 
Because she knows on this earth our plans change. It's just part of it. And so she doesn't want to build expectations too high because it could change. In this case, your expectations cannot be high enough. They just cannot be high enough. What did Paul say? No eye has seen or ear has heard or anything come into the thoughts of man that could understand the fullness of what is to come. Most of the time you're just trying to say, do you understand the fullness of what is now? What you have now in Him. You have already come to Mount Zion. You are not outside. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are no longer separated from Christ or God, and you now can enter into the very throne room of God and every time find mercy and grace in your time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it clearly spells that out. This is shocking through truths. And you have come to Mount Zion, and there God is there, the judge of all. If anyone could cast you out, he could. But your membership's there. It means you're in good standing with the judge of the universe. He sits there as the one who reigns over all. And Romans 5.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have access into Mount Zion if you are in Christ. That's crazy. I mean, do you, under, do you understand that? These people are thinking about Mount Sinai as if it were something better. As if they might want to turn away to Mount, to, to Mount Sinai where it's frightening and fearful and they're, every step they're worried. And he says, why would you live there in light of Christ ushering in the new covenant? Why would you live there? You are living in something that does not exist. Mount Sinai was consumed by the New Covenant. Mount Sinai fell apart. It did its work and like went away in light of the New Covenant. Why would you go back there? Why would you go back there? You would only go back there if you would somehow like rather be in fear than you would be filled with joy. That, that's why you would go back there. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is old covenant believers and the new both experiencing the work of Christ in its fullness. These are people who understand that Christ's perfection has been applied to their account and their sin to His. They are trusting in the soul-sufficient Christ who has offered a sacrifice that God accepted. Those people, those people who are made right with God through his work. They're there. And to Jesus, He's there. He's there. The mediator. The what? The one that goes between you and God. He's there. Of the new covenant. He's there. He's there. Jesus is there. He is there to show you, listen, you have access through Me. He's there. And to the sprinkled blood. His sacrifice is there. His sacrifice is there. 
His atoning sacrifice is there. His sacrifice that made you acceptable is there. This is, I mean, to not, to sit here this morning and say, well, I didn't get much out of that. Well, you know why? Because you don't really understand it if you don't get much out of it. That'd be crazy. How could you not get much out of it? If you don't get much out of it, it's because you don't see Christ as glorious. It's because you're hopelessly dead in your sins if you don't get much out of it. To stand at Mount Sinai was to stand separated from God, fearful of death, in awe but fearful. To stand at Mount Zion and to enter in is to rejoice in the saving work of Christ. If you don't get much out of that, you may not know Him. This sprinkled blood is greater than the blood of Abel. Why is that? Abel's blood cried out for justice and judgment in Christ's blood. His blood shed for the new covenant people has offered forgiveness and cleansing. It's all there. It's all there. It's not Mount Sinai anymore. It is Mount Zion's step into the glory of that celebration. This doesn't get you excited about knowing the Lord, there is something radically wrong to be told that you get to step into and have, and you're awaiting the fullness of that, have stepped into the glorious things of Christ, of His sacrifice, of His work as mediator, of God as judge, and that all of those things, and of the celebrating angels, and of the, all the firstborn who've ever believed throughout all the ages, for you to get to step into that, to know that kind of intimacy, and to know that you're not waiting to see if your application is accepted, but that you are now enrolled, that ought to bring joy. That's what He is calling upon the Christian to do, is to see that and to never turn back to something that does not save, but to turn to the thing that does save, and in its salvation that comes in Christ brings joy forevermore. Now, the last warning. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. You see, the earthly, the heavenly, the earthly being inferior, the heavenly being greater. At that time His voice shook the earth and now He has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He is saying, don't reject this voice. 
this voice of salvation, this voice of eternal hope, this voice that Christ died according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again on the same day according to the Scriptures, this voice to say, today if you hear His voice, don't turn away from that. The voice that says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The voice that says in Matthew 11, come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Don't reject that voice. Because there's not going to be another. This is the final voice. That one voice at Mount Sinai, that was that first kind of voice in this sense. And yet this second one is not just earthly, it's heavenly. And that both heaven and earth will be shaken. If you reject this voice, you reject all hope for rest. You reject all hope for salvation. You reject all hope for an eternal life with God. Verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He is saying, rejoice. You, you live in gratitude. You be overwhelmed by what He's done for us. Rejoice in that. Live a life of joy in that. Live a life of worship. Live a life of reverence. Live a life of awe. Because for you to turn back to saving yourself in some way, or go back to something that's inferior, or trust in the blood of bulls and goats, or trust in your own efforts, for you to go back to that is a damning prospect. Instead, you listen to the voice and you worship. Because to reject His voice of the final word of the Lord Jesus Christ to save is to be consumed. Would you say your life is marked by enjoying God for what He has done in Christ? Is it marked by trusting Him? Is it marked by living in awe of Him? Is it marked by offering your life in service to Him? Is it marked by thankfulness for what He has done? Is it marked by showing that gratitude as you express that to other people? Are you listening to the truth here? The finish line is, is, has been brought to us in Christ. We trust Him, hope in Him, live for Him, and we heed the voice of God so that we, like those before who did not listen, might not perish like those who did not listen. So, man, woman, boy, girl, whoever you are today, the final voice of God is a voice that comes to us and calls us to put our hope in Christ. If you fail to experience that by trusting in Him, hoping in Him, putting your life and your stock in Him, you will perish. But if you trust in Him, and you hope in Him, and you walk with Him, then you will know life eternal. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I pray that we as a people would understand the glorious promises that are here. That we would be so overwhelmed with gratitude and hope that we could just never get over that. I pray when we begin to just wonder, well, what would it be like to be in the old days 
that we would stamp foolish thought over our minds and say, this day, this day that we're in, this new age that's been inaugurated by Christ, this new covenant, so much more glorious. May we walk in faith. May we trust in Jesus. May we put our hope in Him. In Christ's name, Amen.